Hello, and thank you for joining us for this installment of the Extant Podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number 19, where we'll be talking about season two, episode nine of the CBS summer series Extant. And this episode was titled The Other Side, which aired on August 19th, 2015. And The Other Side was written by veteran writer for Extant, Les Boehm. He wrote two last year and two episodes this year. And it was directed by another veteran also, Kevin Dowling, who uh, has directed a couple episodes this year and one last year as well. The only thing that was interesting to me, besides the fact that these guys have, have done Extant for a while, is that we just had an episode called The Other, and now we've got one called The Other Side. <laughs> it's interesting repetition there. Yeah, and you know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the titles. Maybe we should. Well, yeah, because this one is especially worrying because it makes it seem like it's talking about an afterlife and with the metaphors that were in Molly's dream. So I'm not exactly sure what to take out of the title, but I guess maybe, maybe it'll come up in our discussion. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what makes it a good title. That's right. But uh, in show news this week, uh, a couple of guest stars that I want to mention, but first we got a feedback almost right after the show ended that came through goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback And I got the email on Thursday morning and I'm like, Craig Shapiro, wait a minute. (laughs) This is from Craig Shapiro and Liz Kruger, the showrunners of Extant. They used our feedback form, Dave. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because when you told me or or rather you asked me, did I read the email? I said, well, I saw it, but, you know, I don't like to read the emails because I don't want to be influenced by what the listeners are saying. And you said, no, you need to read this one. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we're going to arrange something with Mr. Shapiro and Miss Kruger to talk to them maybe for a debrief after the season is over, but they invited us to do so. So we definitely will be uh, seeing what we can arrange for that. And Oh yeah. Cause we got a lot of questions like a post season show. <laughs> so, yeah. but let's talk about some of the guest stars. We saw a return actually of a, a guest role and that's the role of Quinn who is Molly's father, played by Louis Gossett Jr. And this isn't one of my favorite characters, Dave, I'll be honest. But I think he really gave us some depth for Molly's character this episode. Well, you know, and, and I think to be fair, I think he gave us some depth when we saw him at his summer house as well, though. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that story arc. But but yeah, he, he definitely gave us some background. But I think he gave us so much more here in this episode with the conflicts that molly must be struggling with in her life yeah and why she makes decisions in the relationships that she does and another one we've been talking about how the actress who plays lucy is just incredibly great (laughs) but this new young star that just popped up Janaea walton as the teenage version of tara she's pretty badass yeah remains (laughs) to be seen though whether i'm gonna like her or not (laughs) Yeah. yeah but shout out to her yeah. Uh, and then in the ratings this week, Mike, it was flat and, and flat's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, they've been really steady season two, another 0.7 and a three share, 4.66 million viewers. And I would expect we'll probably pick up another million and a half in the plus three. So, you know, it's hanging in there. And one of the things that I like and, and granted, this is among the listeners, but I hear a lot of chatter about season three. So. Yeah, if it's based on fan response, definitely will will happen. But of course, we've talked about in a lot of our pre-episode discussion in previous podcasts about how there are other factors at play. But I think it, that point seven, I think, is that respectable amount that's really going to help in that key demographic. And I don't know if you felt this way, Dave. When you were watching this episode and you saw what was happening for Molly, did you almost think that this might be a graceful exit? for Halle Berry, but at the same time, of course, the show couldn't exist without her. Well, I did, and, and, and again, we mentioned it before, you almost can't help but think that, given that we live in the age of Game of Thrones and shows being more inclined to kill off major characters, but I think if nothing else, we saw Tara in the morgue basically playing dead, and I think certainly it's going to be a different approach, but I think obviously Molly's not dead. Another transformation in store, perhaps. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our episode discussion. All right. uh, Opening scene, we see Nate and the team trying to save Molly. And, you know, for most of this episode, 
Molly is in really bad physical shape, of course, other than in her near-death experience scenes. But Nate is one of those characters I'm just not sure how to feel about him. I mean, he does really seem driven to save her in this scene. Yeah, and I think they set him up as a sympathetic character when they went to him for help. So that's definitely where I think we're supposed to have our sympathies. Okay. And, you know, we're reintroduced to GSC Secretary Fiona Stanton, who I love, by the way. Yeah, she's she's great. And, you know, she makes good decisions, even though it's not the ones necessarily that our protagonists want. It still is something where you're like, yeah, yeah, that's the only call she could have made. Right. And and we see her and Shepard discussing how many hybrids actually survived. And, And for me, the takeaway here is that it seems as if her stance has hardened a bit while Shepard's may be softening. And with Shepard, is it the fact that he's got Molly lying there near death? Yes, definitely. I think this is purely a factor of his relationship with Molly, but also seeing what it did and realizing that he made his decision without knowing that she had this hybrid aspect to her. Cause he only found that out when Mei Fong came into the picture and showed those symptoms so he had already released the virus when he found this out so yeah it's got to be the way he feels about molly okay now lying in the bed molly tells Shepard that they should study her to see what she could have become and i'm wondering you know is this merely altruistic on her part or is she throwing it back in his face see what you did what you could have had yeah a little of each maybe (laughs) but then i love the fact that she chastises him for stealing john's work which I'm not sure is exactly fair. I mean, we we wonder who funded John's program. I mean, I, I know we know to a large extent Yasumoto, right? Right. But then at a certain point, it became the GSC, probably at the point where John died. Right. And John certainly couldn't have been so naive to not think that at some point, and we've talked about this before, that the military would want to come in and push things in a certain direction. Yeah, even if there wasn't an an alien threat, they might have done that. Right. But then that line that she says to Toby, machines to hurt living creatures, you know, what's that all about? You know, maybe the human race isn't even worth saving. And then I've got to ask, what drives her to say that? I don't know. It's a good question because... As we see in her near-death experience dream sequence, there are some reasons why she feels a certain way about relationships, uh, her father, family relationships, and also relationships with the men in her life. But does that translate to humanity at large? Is that where we're going with this? Right. I mean, we get that maybe she wants to give up on the human race as a human herself. But like you said, what about everybody else that maybe doesn't have her life experiences and then she comes out and accuses Shepard of John's death and we've seen that out of her and we'll see it out of JD and you know I really love Shepard's character and I love him more each week and I think the beauty of his character is that we've been on this roller coaster ride with him liking him and not liking him yeah exactly and on the one hand I think we no, he didn't have anything to do with John's death. But at the end of it, he just needs to know where the survivors went. And of course, she's not going to tell him anything. Yeah. And I think it's good that she's saying, let's study me and see what I could have become to see if maybe it could change his decision with regard to the survivors. So maybe there's a little bit of that at play too. But yeah, she's not going to give him any help in tracking them down before some kind of change of heart can occur. Right. And we don't really know whether or not she knows where they are anyway. Right. Right, Exactly. (laughs) Or or how many survived. She has to use her mind magic in order to do it. There you go. All right. So then we see Charlie and Julie trying to explain to the secretary why the humanics should be shut down. And clearly we know this is going to be a tough sell. (laughs) That's right. I don't think that they probably thought they could succeed in this persuasion, but they figured they had to at least give it a shot because anything they do from here on out could actually land them in jail. Right. And and, I mean, we can't help but go back to that scene when she was deciding custody of Ethan. And she really did seem sympathetic to the humanness that this humanic exhibited. True. And yet here she doesn't really seem too sympathetic to their concern about Lucy's reaction. In fact, she says, well, 
what would you expect? I mean, if if she knows that you're trying to shut her down, wouldn't you think that's how she'd react? Yeah, and it's a combination of that and the fact that she admits that she's not very technical, but it looks like a technical problem that you need to solve, a bug that you need to work out. Right, and I think she may have even used the phrase will to survive. And, you know, when we go back to the title of the show and in the graphic, extant, extinct. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, whether or not the human race is going to survive or not. And it's all about, it's starting to really become, rather than just talking about who should survive, but who deserves to survive, which which of the races deserves it. Right, and who makes that decision exactly. as to who deserves it. Well, she wants to shut down the two dozen that she has on standby. So, you know, I think we talked last week about wondering how many they really could have and how fast they could get up and running. But we do hear the number 1,000 thrown around here about mentioning to suspend activation for the 1,000 plus. So they must have had the factory running full time. That's right. And I guess there's a process to getting the memories uploaded or the personalities put in and, and all that. And so they can't do them all at once. So, yeah, it looks like we have about two dozen right now. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things that comes out in this episode, and we've talked about it before, the idea that people have certain decisions to make, all of their options are bad. Mm -hmm. And in this case, you know, the idea that something is clearly wrong with the humanics, but against the hybrids, there are only hope. And as Stanton points out, no virus has ever been 100 percent effective. So in other words, we might kill most of them, but we're not going to kill them all. Well, you know what I took out of that thing that she said? I was like, see, why didn't the humanics hunt people down? We had a, a, some feedback last week, and you and I discussed about how it was a little bit sloppy of the humanics to just throw the virus cans and not sweep the entire place. Exactly the way Stanton says, if the virus couldn't be 100% effective, they should have been a little bit more thorough. But of course, for narrative reasons, they didn't do that. Right. Well, I guess we could blame that on Shepard, right? And Stanton, not necessarily the humanists. They're the ones ordering them. Yeah, calling them back. Yeah. Is it fair to say that we got the answer to the question about whether or not the humanic army had limiters installed? Yeah, because they hadn't been done yet. Is that what we are taking from this? I think so. So, yeah, they had no limiters for that initial attack. It worked okay for that because, of course, Lucy had to go through an evolution before she would completely go off the rails and maybe that was good enough for the time being for the newbies but now it's time to put it on and well that didn't go so well <laughs> no it didn't and then Shepard tells them that he has molly and her last request is to see ethan and they look kind of surprised again i'm still not sure if they really have a good grasp on what's happened to molly i mean do they know she's a hybrid i think they know from what may fong was going through I guess they think it might be a different form than what the actual grown-up babies with the accelerated aging are experiencing. But yeah, you're right. I guess so that, that does fit with what you're saying. They don't know the extent of it, even if they think it's different. Right. I mean, they seem a little bit surprised that she's dying of the virus. Well, anyway, so she's going to leave a video log for Ethan. And then this is the first time we see what at this point we assume is just a hallucination of her being with her father. Yeah, just something that she's dreaming about in some kind of delirious state or something like that. All right, so we really got like four really good and I think really independent storylines going. And let's, let's start with the first one, J.D. and General Shepard and their reaction to the whole situation. And it's really difficult for me in this episode to pick the storyline I like the best, but I definitely like these two together because... You know, they have a past, they have a present, and the question is, are they going to have a future? I think they are, and it's been a really rocky relationship up to this point. Right. It's cool to see the scotch bottle get lower and lower, and they come to a sort of an understanding, even though J.D. has every reason to stick to what he knows about the past and what happened in the Second Kuwait War. Right. Now, Shepard releases him and wants J.D. to give him information about the humanics. And, you know, it seems he's under pressure from above to come up with something. Although I guess I sense he's not really trying all that hard and I don't know why. 
Yeah, that is curious, isn't it? I actually am not sure what Shepard hopes to get out of it. And it's like JD has a certain amount of digs that he needs to get in. But what? yeah, what is Shepard trying to get out of it? Right now, I know we have a, a listener feedback about this next topic, so I won't go into too much detail. But but obviously, JD goes to see Molly. She's unconscious and basically he says everything short of professing his undying love for her. Right. I mean, is, is that fair? It's fair. And it's really been a interesting progression for this relationship. And we'll also talk about, are you talking about Leo's feedback or someone else's? <laughs> ah, I can't remember whose feedback. It well, was. cause I'm just thinking of, of something that else that's coming up about whether or not you feel like this relationship progressed in a natural way and this is a logical point for it to be in and I, th- I have to say it is I, I think I like the way that they've built it well I do too because of everything she's going through it's almost as if Molly doesn't really have a chance to even sit down and think about her feelings for JD right and I like how he actually says that she is someone who opens people's eyes to who they really are and so he gives a quality to her that is very relevant to her being the one, and this comes up several times in the episode, the one that, that is supposed to lead this group of hybrids and change humanity's mind about the possibilities. Right. Now, you mentioned the bottle of scotch. Shepard <laughs> comes in, tells J.D. he's got a bottle of scotch in his office that he got from the president. 25 years old. Exactly. But again, what I find interesting here is the the fact that these two guys in this situation are going to start to try to bond together. And we already know that they both have feelings for Molly. Well, yeah, I guess they both do know that I've got more the impression that general Shepard saw that JD and Molly were growing close together, but does JD know that they have a past or that at least general Shepard has some feelings for her? Yeah. I'm not sure whether they do or not, but certainly as the viewer, we know. We know, yeah. All right, so they're drinking scotch. J.D. asked the general why they didn't also develop an antidote, and he wasn't happy with Shepard's answer, but it's understandable to me. Yeah, I think we've been talking all along, Dave, how we see where Shepard is coming from, even though J.D. and Molly might not. Right, and you understand that. I mean, Shepard tells him that he's seen things he never thought he'd see. You know, he goes through the whole thing about aliens coming and hybrids and all that. And then JD gives him the, you know, it's about what you do about what you see, which obviously refers to his handling of the hybrid situations, but it's not that simple. It's not cut and dried. It's not black and white. It's true. And JD actually is fixating on a completely different fact about the fact that terrorists aren't born. They are made. And I guess he's speaking to, General Shepard's assumptions about what these guys are up to. Right. And I guess it's important, you know, we learn a little bit more about their backstory, about their history together. And, and, you know, we know that JD apparently went AWOL and we assumed that it had something to do with disagreeing uh, about the morality and ethics of a particular mission. But now we find out that Shepard ordered his own units bombed to try to get one terrorist. Right. And I think they did hint at this in a previous episode, but it was more sounding like they were talking about civilians, but it's actually the men, the soldiers that were killed to get the terrorist. Right. And JD, you know, it's easy to take that moral high ground when you're not the guy that has to make those decisions. When you're not the guy that has multiple options, one worse than the other. I love what he says though. He goes, it doesn't matter if it's the lesser of two evils. It's still evil. <laughs> well, well, I I know. And you know what? That's one of those pieces of rhetoric that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good, but it actually doesn't actually have very much behind it. Right. But it just seems to draw those two together because of, obviously they stay in the office. They <laughs> drink more scotch. In fact, many drinks later. It's almost the whole bottle is like just a sliver left of it. <laughs> exactly. They're now going to try to figure out who ordered the hit on John after I think J.D., I think he even says, you know what, maybe it's the scotch talking or whatever, but I believe you. Yeah, and I think it's great that all the theories that were out there, including ones that were shared on this podcast, oh, maybe it's Anna. Nah, she couldn't. And and you see that Shepard is very dismissive of the Anna theory. And so you have to kind of go, okay, if, if he says it's not Anna, then maybe it's not Anna. Well, he kind of alludes to these nameless, faceless people that 
almost as if some sort of cabal. Well, that- especially since they refer to the fact that Julie had to make this call to a uh, high-level encrypted call, and it just doesn't fit with what Shepard knows about how these things work. So, yeah, I think he definitely is thinking much higher up. Right. And you'd think somebody in his position would have access to a lot of information, but he tells JD that he's been inquiring for a while and the trail's been cold. And then he mentions Nicholas Calderon as a potential enemy of John's. And we obviously flash back to that photograph that we saw in uh, episode 205, maybe. It was 205, right. And yeah, we had to go back and look at this because some people on Twitter were asking us about it. And we said, yeah, that's that little discussion we had in our episode discussion for 205 about the photographs that Molly was going through. And she turned it over. It was a picture of John holding a drawing and there was a hand reaching in to the picture. It's kind of blurry and you couldn't see the whole person. But the back of the photograph said John and Calderon. So this isn't someone we've met in the show before, but obviously they wanted us to recognize the name. Right. All right. While they're sitting there, they're clearly drunk at this point. All of a sudden, J.D. sees on one of the security monitors that Toby has in his office, the hybrids walk by and he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, back that up. (laughs) And of course, that leads Shepard to sound the alarm. And we'll continue that storyline in another (laughs) part of our discussion. But yeah, that was great because. Here we are starting to trying to speculate. Oh, then who's Calderon? Who is he? Is he some member of the government? Is he a former colleague of John's? Is he a rival? And then on to a completely different plot line. <laughs> right. And, you know, again, I think one of the, the strong suits of season two is that they threw that out there. We don't get any more yep. information about it in this episode, but we got four episodes left. Exactly. It was perfectly just dropped in there for us to stew on. <laughs> yep. All right. So the B story we see Julie's reaction to the situation and and to a smaller extent, Charlie's as well. She tells Ethan that he has humanity, that he's unlike other humanics. And and it's funny, you know, my wife happened to hear that scene as I was rewatching it. And it's like, you know, she's like, well, I thought he was a human. I'm like, well, he is. Well, what does that mean? And it means what you would think it means, right? That, that he is more human than a lot of humans because he has feelings, you know, he does have emotions and he does understand morality and ethics. Right. And I I love Julie's speeches for the most part because she does express herself very well. I did actually want her to say something like we took shortcuts with uh, Lucy and the others. So understand that Ethan. It's like, I kind of wanted her to spell it out a little bit more, but Obviously, Ethan's strengths were well expressed. Well, right. And that's one of the things I love about Julie and Charlie is that they tell Ethan the truth. Right. Now, granted, he's probably more intelligent than children his age, but still they tell him the truth. That's right. And she does that here. Why she wiped his memories. You know, she tells him the truth about Molly and her condition and that she wants to see him. Well, yeah, that's interesting, too, because is it before or after they restore his memories that they find out that Molly has called for him? Because I think it's interesting timing. Julie and Charlie restore his original memories, even though it's going to be painful for him. They understand that that's an important part of his humanity. And then he goes to see Molly and it's like, this is going to actually accentuate some of those negative emotions. Now, I think that's okay, But at the same time, that must have been hard for them to do. Yeah, but I I am pretty sure that she told him that Molly wanted to see him before. And, and, you know, I guess we don't actually hear her explain everything to him. We assume that, you know, that just happened off camera and he apparently agrees to want to have his memories reimplanted. And of course, you mentioned that I don't think Julie and Charlie fully understood how fatal Molly's condition was. Right. And these two characters, probably more than any other characters, I mean, maybe Shepard, just are constantly reevaluating choices that they've made throughout the series. Yeah, they have the possibility of redemption because of that. Yep. All right. So next thing we hear about is a Faraday cage. And I don't know. I guess I assume the possibility was that Lucy might be in there. That's exactly what I thought, because isn't Faraday more electrical? I thought so as well. And I thought, well, now Lucy was pretty dead. 
but she is an artificial intelligence and they can be repaired. But they didn't keep us hanging for very long. We immediately see that it's Molly in there. Julie goes in first. We see this emotional confessional. She explains why she took Ethan, which was to save him from being deactivated, erased his memories because he was in pain, but acknowledges she was wrong. Yeah, and this is also where she has Ethan leave the room because she wants to talk to Molly herself without him, I guess, because she needs her confessional time and tells her, even though Molly can't necessarily hear her, that John loved her to the very end. And this is a big confession for her to make. Yeah, and then she goes on that the night he died, she may be the one that got him killed. You know, not not that I killed him, but... I've made so many wrong choices, she tells Molly. I'll never do it again. And to a large extent, I just think she and Charlie were in over their heads. They did the best they could with what they had. But the other thing, though, that you really do appreciate about Julie in this scene, asking Ethan to leave, is that you know he doesn't need to hear this. He's confused enough already about who his mother is, about who was in love with his father, things like that. And he doesn't need to hear that. That's right. But, and I think this is as good a place as any to mention it because it happens throughout the episode, each of these characters. And I think it's specifically JD, Julie and Ethan that get their moment alone with Molly and they either touch her arm or touch her hand. And there's a little bit of a, like some kind of dark flickering going on. Did you catch that? I did. And so I think this is a good time to mention it. What do you think is going to happen to those people who had these moments with Molly. Julie had it because they're not necessarily related. Julie is not really related to JD in any way. So I think it's an interesting combination and, and the speculation should begin as to what that all was about. Yeah. I really don't have a clue. I mean, I will be (laughs) honest and say I, I did happen to read something somebody posted about it. So I'm not going to steal that person's thunder. Exactly. (laughs) I, I really didn't have an idea. Me either. So we'll leave that up to our listeners to speculate on. Yeah. All right. So we're back at the GSC Humanic Lab. Julie calls Charlie and tells him to shut down the program. And I'm thinking like the individual program or the whole Humanic program? (laughs) The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, we could go to jail. And when she tells him she understands, he just wants to know that we're on the same page. And did I see a little smile i mean just a little bit she loved the fact that charlie well, she well he loved it and julie loved the fact that charlie just kind of was like okay let's do it he was on board immediately that it didn't matter that they could actually go to jail they're gonna do the right thing in this case yeah and you wonder whether she anticipated any blowback from him on this maybe she did but i think she was pleasantly surprised or at least maybe not surprised but still got that smile on her face and he got one too yeah well right because you know from her perspective she understands that charlie's got a thing for her she basically rebuffs him in fact he learns that she was having an affair with john you know so that she probably did anticipate something yeah so i I think it was great that they did that it does bring up some questions now because later on charlie is giving orders to the team about physically dissembling the humanics because Something to do with the limers. Now, let me, say, let me see if I can express this correctly. He was ordered by Julie to shut it down, despite all of what consequences that might bring. And then suddenly he's talking about disassembling them. But it looks like there was actually a real problem where when they went to install the limiters, these humanics had evolved past a point where they would be effective, correct? Correct. That's the way I took it, that basically they would not follow orders to power themselves down, say. So I'm wondering, is this real? Is he using it as an excuse to do what Julie just told him to do? Or is it a convenient truth that he can use to do that disassembly? Uh, Because it almost seems like the order to disassemble them was well-timed for their sabotage and also for a real need to do it. Right, and it's nice to see these two characters willing to throw everything away to do the right thing but it's all for naught when the alarms go off yeah and the announcement is made to move all humanics to the gsc because of the breach right and this brings a great dilemma for charlie what do i do do i carry through with it with the dangerousness that's that's implied by the fact that they have no limiters 
a war, are people going to die because I decide that they have to be disassembled? I mean, it's a rock and a hard place. Right. And I think you could examine the writing of the episode and say that, well, it would have been nice to see Charlie forced to really deal with that dilemma because he's not really forced because Shepard comes on, I always say Skype, so it's some sort of video <laughs> program. But he explains to him what's going on and what the reality of the situation is and that without the humanics, the human death toll is likely to be 100 percent. And I think he mentions that there are over 700 people there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really no choice at all. Charlie has to take them off standby and God help us. (laughs) Yeah. So, All right. Now, the C story. And I don't think we're saying these in order of importance, but uh, story number one, story number two. (laughs) Molly's near death experience. And, you know, it's funny, as often happens with me in TV shows that I'm podcasting about. There are certain elements that on the first viewing, as I'm taking notes, I'm not all that into it. Yeah. And this is one of those. Well, I think in general, podcasting with dream sequences is very difficult to do. Yeah. And on the rewatch, I totally bought into it. Do I have some criticisms? Yes, but they're very minor. Right. So. I think on the whole, we've got some great profound messages, but I do think, you know, it, it is a little bit hinky. Dream sequences are always that way because they almost have to bring in either a little bit of cheese factor or they have to hit the audience over the head to get them to understand what's really going on. Right. And they chose the hammer approach. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, to a certain extent, I I liken it to fight scenes. And, you know, my feeling on fight scenes is that very often they go on far too long. I don't think this one went far too long, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So we see Molly as an adult with her father at a fair. And then suddenly she looks in the mirror and we see that, no, this is a time she's remembering when she was a young girl. I don't know, maybe 10, 11, 12, something like that. Right. And that cements it for us that this is not completely random, that it is based on a real memory. Right. She sees Ethan walking with Charlie and Julie as a family. And now we're getting a little bit more of a revelation of what exactly is going on. Although at this point, we're still not thinking near death experience. We're just thinking coma and, and, you know, that whole question about whether or not people are aware while they're in a coma. Right. Or it could just be the esoteric nature of a regular sleeping dream right and the next thing you know we see shepherds a barker trying to entice molly to play whatever game he's selling dad pulls her away and then he sees this attractive neighbor goes to see her leaves molly alone which should be tip off number one yeah and you had to really question what was going on there because it seemed like he was just within sight of her as she played the game but wow, what a decision for him to go off and just leave her in the middle of a public space like that. That's a scary thing for a kid. Well, yeah. And then he tells her to go off and play Galactic Attack and, <laughs> and hands her a list of aliens, I think he says. or Yeah, it was not a game chosen at random. <laughs> All right. So, you know, the next flashback we see here, you know, they're still at the carnival. Molly's searching frantically for her father. And and again, as we go on in this storyline, we realize that it's a reaction to something that happened in her childhood that was obviously extremely traumatic. And then she sees her father having sex with this young woman. And we start to question whether or not this is a real memory. Did her father really use her to see his girlfriend and the answer is yes yes he really did do this and of course we knew he was a little bit despicable in season one he had his gambling problem he was willing to do anything including use ethan's abilities to get what he wanted so this is just one more ingredient in his bad father recipe (laughs) right now i think critics might say okay here here's the the first little slice of cheese (laughs) when she enters the tent designated memory lane but i'm okay with that one yeah that one's not as bad as the later one (laughs) yeah because as soon as she they start the machine that's got the multiple screens with scenes from her life and we overhear all these i love that I, i thought that was awesome scene which ones? Are, so what, what kind of phrases do we have? Well, we hear, you know, it was a mistake. I lied and things oh. like that. And they were scenes from season one, mostly. Yeah. John was in a number of them. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I'm remembering that now. Right. And then while she's watching these, suddenly her father enters the tent and she's upset because she realizes what it is he did, you know, to his nine-year-old daughter. Yeah, exactly. She's speaking as the child, but... 
now she's seeing it from the adult's perspective and responding in kind. So I'm not sure if this was something she suppressed, but now it's coming up in this dream state. And I guess uh, if I could skip ahead a little bit, we're supposed to take something from this as to how she is now with her relationships with, whether it be the one that she has with JD, or I think especially the one she had with John. Right. I mean, it certainly parallels what happened with John. Having an affair with Julie. Exactly. Uh, And then phone rings. Now, he's reluctant to answer it, but she tells him, they'll tell you about the crash and that mommy's dead. Yep. Now she's remembering exactly how it unfolded. Exactly. So now it's that while you and I were here, you with your mistress, my mother was killed. Now, could he have done anything had they not been there? Well, unlikely. Yeah. The act of adultery is still as despicable, but the timing of it makes it even worse in Molly's mind. And she can't separate the two tragedies. Right. Now, what happens next, I think, is probably the highlight of the episode for me. Uh, she runs out of the tent, passes a sign this way to your final departure. And of course, we, we realize, OK, it's a near death experience. Is she going to go and take that final walk? That's right. I wasn't sure at this point that she was going to do that, but I did notice the sign. I'm like, oh, final departure. Yeah. And I started to put two and two together, but I definitely did not expect her to (laughs) actually take those steps. Right now she's looking around. Ethan comes up to her and asks if she found his mom. I'm lost, he tells her. And she admits that she is too. And I love it because, you know, back in reality, Ethan is lost. I mean, he knows instinctively he's a humanic that he knows he's not human but i think he's starting to get a sense that and especially after what julie told him that you know what maybe i'm more human than a lot of humans so you know in a sense he's lost as well not to mention the loss of his memories although they've been restored in this episode it almost seems like that happens here in this part of the dream sequence because molly sees julie and charlie at one of the game booths and says, there's your mom right there. No, that's not my mom. I want my real mom. So it's actually kind of imitating what's going on in real life at this point. All right. And then JD appears, asks if she needs help, which, you know, we supposed to go back to their relationship. And I don't even necessarily want to call it. I mean, clearly they have a relationship, but it's almost more of a working relationship than anything else. Although we certainly know that he has feelings for her, but we we really haven't seen her indicate she has any feelings for him. I guess that's true to a certain extent. She's been flirting, but yeah, that's true. And I think it's important though, that JD Quinn and Ethan are the ones that are there beside her as she starts going towards the final departure. Right. And then we begin to faintly hear Ethan calling her mom, telling her he knows now who he really is. And then we're back to, real time ethan's at molly's bedside and so what's he been trying to do pull her back from death i mean that's what we're thinking at that point and you think of course as the viewer we've seen this a thousand times she's going to hear his voice and she's going to start coming back which makes it all the more surprising that as they try and persuade her she keeps getting closer and closer the line is progressing closer and closer to the final departure and all of the persuasion that's coming from the dream state and from ethan outside are not really getting through Right. And I guess you could argue that the use of the final departure signs <laughs> was a bit heavy handed. <laughs> yes. But I'm OK with that. Now, Molly seems to willingly get in line for the departure. And now, like you, you kind of alluded, now we're really what is she really going to keep walking? It's almost like that. You know, again, like you said, we've seen it before. Walk to the light. No, don't walk to the light. Sounds like she's going to walk to the light. Yeah. And, but then if she doesn't, of course, she'll be called back. She'll wake up and there'll be a reconciliation. Nope. <laughs> it's going to be go past that turnstile and have a change of heart too late. And she can't turn back. I think that was a great way to do it. Well, I do. But, you know, at this point, it's where it's starting to hit me. OK, you know what? Maybe this isn't about death and dying. Literally but rather the death of her humanity and that, you know, maybe what she's trying to do is let go of being human. But my question is why, what's driven you to that point? Is it simply these bad things that people did to you? Yeah. I think that's the whole reason for the dream sequence. She just told Toby at the beginning of the episode that humanity wasn't worth saving. We wondered why did she say this? 
And now we're being shown why she feels this way. She had the betrayal of her father that's been coloring her relationships with men in her life. I mean, you remember in season one, she was kind of cold towards John. She didn't really see Ethan as a real child at first. Obviously, the fact that she left on a a 13-month mission had some problems, some issues at its root. And I think that's what we're seeing here is that the experiences that are in this dream sequence are what has made her give up on humanity. And of course, the actions leading up to the fact that the hybrids have been taken out, I think also has come into play. Doesn't seem like enough. You know. You don't I think mean, so? <laughs> it seems like there should be more. To, you yeah, know, I to... think you're right on that score. I think there should be a little bit more, but I still understand what they were going for. Sure. So we're back in real time. Molly is in physical distress. The guard comes in, orders Julie to a secure location because we know all hell's breaking loose with the hybrids and then the humanics have been dispatched. No doctor's going to be coming. Yeah. They're told. And, you know, again, my wife was still watching and I'm like, and she was like, well, why not? They're in, I said, well, they're in a lockdown. Yeah. They all have to get to a safe place. That's just the guards running around. There's no doctors. (laughs) Right. And then Quinn comes up to her, tells her that you don't need to take this ride right now. And she counters that she's made up her mind. She's given up on us. I think it's her father that says that, but I think at that point, like JD's. Well, JD's like, uh, you're not helping here, Quinn. (laughs) But right. But yeah, she, I think he speaks the truth. Right. And at that point, we still can look at it with the double meaning. She's given up on us. Well, who's us? I mean, okay, granted, we know what her father's done to her, but. JD hasn't done anything to her. And then we think, okay, well, she doesn't mean us in that regard. She means us, the human race. Well, maybe let's throw in another ingredient. How about the fact that she was at Crazy Acres for 90 days? Does that help? (laughs) Well, yeah, it does. That's another little piece of the puzzle. Now, her father then comes in, and this is one of the first meaningful things that comes out of his mouth, really, that forgiveness is what gives us humanity. All right. Yeah, I like this. This is another theme that comes up. Yeah, and and that it's time to forgive him, to forgive John, and to forgive yourself. And and perhaps he doesn't say it, but maybe that's what it's all about. She can't forgive herself for not being able to forgive them. I like it. And of course, I think we get a little bit of that with Ethan. The reason he is characterized by Julie as having a lot of humanity comes to the idea of forgiveness as well. Because you always have these stories that say love is the ingredient that was missing, you know, <laughs> but I like that forgiveness is the key ingredient in this show. Yeah. And then that line that mistakes are what make us human. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of Ethan in that John allowed him to make mistakes. Yeah, exactly. He needed to come to an ethics program, if you will, naturally. Right. Yep. So she's ready to go when her father tells her. You can't change the past, but you can change the future. Okay. <laughs> On the one hand, a little bit trite, but true. Well, it almost starts to speak to, even though Quinn has, in real life has no idea what's going on, <laughs> the fact that you're the one that's going to help the human race evolve by way of the hybrids, I assume. Yeah. And so that's where it comes, where the audience starts thinking, okay, this isn't a death. This is a choice between humans and hybrids. And I think you even see, oh, does, doesn't the sign say humans and humanics or does it say humans and hybrids? I thought it said humans and hybrids. Me too. Cause it's just that we got a feedback later that says that it said humanics, but it went by very quickly. And I think she has made the choice to give up her humanity and perhaps go full on hybrid. Right. And I love though, when he tells her with you, the human race evolves without you. And he just leaves it hanging. Yeah. (laughs) We are hopeless without Molly as our savior. (laughs) Yep. All right. So we see Ethan there begging her not to go. And then we get that scene where Molly flatlines as Julie drags Ethan from the room. And you're like, what? (laughs) That was quite the moment. It was. All right. Now, the, the final story or the D story, which was probably the shortest of the four, Eris and Tara's plan to kill the human race, right? I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, and now we got confirmation. I I think we really felt good about the fact that our predictions and the predictions of our listeners, you in particular, Dave, mentioned, I hope we see Tara, you know, molt and become (laughs) become a little bit older. And we did see that. And we got an answer as to whether it was just Tara or Tara and Ares that were going to be baddies. 
Right. So we talked a little bit about Nate trying to save Molly, and he's really adamant about it. And then the next thing you know, you know, we see that they have that young hybrid girl who appears to be dead, and he wants to use her to see if there's anything to be learned to save Molly. <laughs> I love the little scene with the saw. Right? Yeah. I guess they're going to saw her skull open. Yep, they definitely show Nate as sympathetic, and he can't believe that there's this small child on his table. But yeah, you got to do the hard <laughs> autopsy there. Right, but I love the horror movie cliche of the, you know, the <laughs> saw, and then before he can make the first cut, hey, anybody hungry? <laughs> yeah, that was great, because it did kind of make you jump in your seat a little bit and then it was so benign <laughs> right so he gets back from lunch to discover that the young girl's missing from the table and then i guess this is the first time he's seen it we of course know what all the skin on the floor is all about yep tara just got a little bit older <laughs> yeah it's got the glowing eyes and then there was another a young woman i assume she was one of the lab techs so whether she was dead or i think she probably was seeing some dead people she was naked because Tara needed some clothes and just kind of rocking in a corner somewhere. <laughs> right. And then in the final scene with them, we see her use her hybridness to pose as general shepherd to gain access to secure areas at GSC. And then we see really quickly just behind her, our heiress in a small group. It looked like only three, four, maybe five or so. Mm -hmm. And he tells her that, you know, we tried it a dues way. Now we're going to do it my way. Yeah. So she let them in by way of mind controlling a guard and there's no humanics here. So this is one of those things that could turn into a massacre. And I think that comes into play when Shepard says there's 700 people and we could have a hundred percent casualty rate. Right. And of course, what really cements for me that Aries is a bad guy is we go back to the hybrids of season one and early here in season two, when Aries makes the soldier that Tara mind controlled put a gun to his head and pull the trigger so right. no more mercy for the humans no and I love the final scene it's very short but very powerful Eris tells her that you know there's a certain poetry to it as it appears what they're planning to do is release a virus that will kill the humans so they're in the GSC's repository of viruses yeah the only thing that bothered me is that Tara used mind control to get the guard to open the door so Ares and his cronies could come in. And yet Tara and Ares do some mumbo jumbo with the security panel where the virus is. And I don't like, I don't like the hybrids dealing with electricity. <laughs> I like them dealing with the mind and things like that, but okay. Yeah. I, I read a complaint about that, you know, about putting her hand up for the uh, recognition and all that. I'm okay with that. So. <laughs> all right. So you know, obviously one of the questions we have is Molly, dead well is she mostly dead <laughs> yes uh no uh, okay so will there be an attempt by the hybrids to develop an antidote to the virus so in other words we don't know how many hybrids there are i mean we certainly know that they can control humans maybe they just don't have enough time but will that be something we see down the road yeah because they might be vulnerable to another dose sure maybe they just escaped that particular disbursement but that doesn't mean they're immune so yeah they've got to do something right and of course we don't know how difficult or easy it is to produce the virus that kills the hybrids oh good point yeah so all right will eris and tara release the virus that's lethal to humans what do you think well I i'm thinking they're going to try and and you know look there's a lot of killing in this show <laughs> and i wonder whether they will release some and some will die well i think that it's going to be like the ticking bomb okay. where it'll get down to two seconds and then something will happen at the last second to stop it from blowing up same thing with the virus <laughs> well we talked about one of the beauties of the storylines in extant is that we've got three distinct races all battling for viability mm -hmm. and in this case perhaps you could see if they release it to kill the humans that, you know, perhaps the humans somehow work with the humanics because clearly they can't defend themselves against humanics. So why don't we team up? We're vulnerable to them together, though. We can take out the hybrids. Yeah, I've seen all kinds of theories out there about these two teams 
going up against the third team. And you've just brought up one possibility. (laughs) There are more. Right. Now, how important is it that we get an answer to who's responsible for John's death? Well, it wouldn't have been important to me, but now it is because of the mention of Calderon. Okay. And this higher level government conspiracy, cabal conspiracy, you know, something. I think it was Taylor, personally. (laughs) And that would be awesome if that's what it ends up being. Because who else could control a car? I mean, I think Taylor fiddled with the AI and made it happen because it was something that was necessary to bring about the humanic strategy. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You know, and then lastly, how is the humanic army going to be deployed and what role will Charlie and Julie play? You know, because ironically, they were ready to shut it down and now they're probably going to be responsible for, I don't want to say controlling it because they're not going to be giving them the orders, but they may be taking the orders that Shepard and Stanton give them and make it so. Well, that's why you just mentioned fighting the virus by having the humans and humanics team up. I think it's going to have to be the humans and hybrids teaming up to stop the humanics because of the fact that there's no limiters. So you can see how it could go any any of three ways. No question. Well, we have a lot of theories that we've just shared with you. Uh, probably more than we usually do, Dave. And we've got a few also from our listeners. So let's go ahead and go into our listener feedback segment. And we'll start with Jovial Falcon, who we haven't heard from in a while, at least not on this podcast. So thanks for uh, chiming in here. He says, oh, man, I thought John was showing up for sure at the Dream Sequence Fair. Didn't you, Dave? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> because we, he had been talking about, and you on Facebook, about the fact that perhaps Goran Viznich was not completely gone from the show. But so far, that's been the case. He says, I thought the Dream Sequence went on longer than it should have, but it seemed they needed her to stay out long enough for the hybrids to get inside the building to set up the next episode. At this point, before your podcast is released, the father adultery and husband adultery seemed out of place and made no sense. Hopefully we helped you there, Mike, with some of what we thought that uh, relevance that had. Although that brings up the question as to whether or not that really was enough to give up on the human race. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe I'm missing something, says Jovial Falcon, but the whole dream sequence, other than a carny version of David Morrissey, (laughs) which was pretty cool, didn't make sense. And I didn't care for it, except when Ethan's real life voice made it through to her because nobody else's voice did. I can look past that Ares survived the human assault, barely, but it irritates the F out of me when people are on the front lines like this and they survive. With supposed expert humanic skills, super soldier X-Files, and he lives? Maybe it was self-healing, but to not show it, if it was, doesn't sit well with me. Next topic, Julie's baby face turn was expected, just like Ethan's, but I still enjoyed the good version of her coming through for Molly. I'm curious how long the death of John storyline will play out next episode end of season slash series. Was it last episode or two episodes ago that Julie confronted Anna? It was good to see Shepard was not in on it. Like I originally suspected. Did Shepard say men with no names get what they want? I don't remember that particular scene. Is that the discussion with JD? I'm not sure. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, if we see them, one of them will not say a word and is smoking Morley cigarettes. That would be a humorous but respectful nod to the X-Files. Have we heard or seen Nicholas Calderon before? Not, I don't think on the show, just that one picture, right? That's correct. And all we see is his arm or hand. Yeah. Shepard said that was John's only enemy outside the GSC. Was anybody else hoping... Yasamoto's name was mentioned. (laughs) That would have been pretty cool. (laughs) Ah, well, wishful thinking on my part. I'm curious how there are four more episodes left. I hope it doesn't mean stretching out scenes or plots. Yeah, four episodes is right on the edge, isn't it, of how do we resolve this without resolving it too early? Yeah, and I hope it means that we're left with a great cliffhanger that leads us into season three. But I know what he's saying, and and I love the allusion to cigarette smoking man as I look at my autographed photo of William Davis that you brought me back from Toronto, I believe. Yeah, it was Fan Expo, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was cool. All right, well, we heard from Barb again this week via audio, so why don't we take a listen to that? 
Hi, Mike and Dave. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's extant epi, The Other Side. After the action-packed episodes we have had lately, this one gave us a chance to slow down and reflect on the question, what makes humans unique? And we saw this through Molly's eyes as she moved toward possible death. Of course, we certainly don't expect the star of the show to die at this point, which means that Molly will live. I've heard that individuals in comas can hear and or sense the presence of loved ones around them and relate experiences once they emerge. It seemed as if this was happening to Molly, and it was interesting to see what type of memory or insight was triggered by the presence of key people as they visited her. Molly talked to Toby, and then she left a message for Ethan. As she began to slip away, she saw her father, who was the first man in her life and very important to her. J.D. touched her hand. He told her to fight. He told her that she opened his eyes and made him see things. And I think this is when Molly begins to examine events that happened in her life that were tucked away, things she didn't want to acknowledge or deal with, things she had buried deeply. There are things we hide away in the corners of our mind as children, and if we're brave enough, we bring them into the light as adults, examine them, deal with them, accept them, make peace with them. And this is what was happening with Molly. Toby appeared in her dream, and when he told her, There is no chance, there are no coincidences, she dismissed him as unimportant to the bigger picture that she was striving to see. When Julie made her confession to Molly, Molly remembered her father's betrayal and applied her father's betrayal to John's betrayal, and she sees that history repeats itself and apparently begins to feel a hopelessness and is ready to give up and move on. Then Ethan talks to Molly, pleading for her not to go as Molly gives up due to the betrayal she has experienced. Then J.D. and Ethan, her strongest current ties to her humanism, are in her memory as she tries to leave them behind for the easy way out, her departure. And as her father reappeared, she began to regret her decision, and she wanted to come back. Now, we as humans often don't learn from our mistakes. We sin again. But we keep striving to do better. Mistakes make us human, but forgiveness gives us humanity. We have to forgive others and forgive ourselves, and Molly finally understood that. But is it too late? The human's humanic sign... At the side of the tunnel with the big question mark was the final question of the epi. Interesting that it wasn't humans or hybrids, so that makes me think that the humans and the hybrids have more in common and that they must join forces against the humanics. The other little hint we got about what Molly may be in the future were her father's words. You are the future. With you, the human race evolves. I don't think Molly will shed her skin like Tara or age like Abdu. I think that her overwhelmingly human DNA will allow her to remain in the same body, but I think that she's going to be a hybrid. My only real nitpick this week was with the use of all the lost references. Everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences. The Faraday cage. The writing on the show is strong enough that it doesn't need to borrow from Lost. Julie's epiphany apparently came with Lucy's attack, but it's going to take more than giving Ethan his memories back for me to feel that she's a redeemed and likable character. Meanwhile, the humanics have evolved and will save themselves, becoming a stronger force than the humans, and that will make for a great showdown. Thanks for all your work on this podcast. This is Barb signing out and avoiding carnivals for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, I guess this idea of forgiveness gives us humanity is really one of the big key factors that I got out of this as well. Yeah, although... And this is someone that sees lost in everything. I mean, okay, the Faraday cage, you mean just because it's Daniel Faraday? Did they have a Faraday cage in Lost? <laughs> well, that's or? what I was wondering, because when she said Faraday cage, I immediately thought of the character Faraday. And the other thing she mentions, the everything happens for a reason, and I don't believe in coincidences. Those seem like fairly generic cliche statements anyway, right? Yeah, Not just yeah, for Lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, probably something that a lot of sci-fi shows return to those those ideas, especially the idea of no coincidences. All right. Another great one. We have to compliment Barb on her excellent audio as audio nerds. But anyway, uh, Benita also shared a, with us some audio. So let's go ahead and listen to hers. Hey, this is Yvonne Bonita Butler in Atlanta. This episode highlighted for me why Halle Berry was chosen for this role. There was still some really cringeworthy dialogue and some rough edits that sometimes would take me out of the moment, but I suspect that the DNA in Hallie uh, nearly shut her down for complete repair, and it's taking the final departure ride 
that she was doing in her head meant really letting go more of her, it's really about letting her humanity go. And this is the same reason that not all the hybrids died, because they've already let their humanity go. I had really hoped that Ethan's programming would somehow be used to influence the humanity. Wasn't putting his consciousness into the circuitry how he survived last season's end? Perhaps this will be how the humanics are subdued in this season, the end of this season. Molly will have to find a way to similarly infect the hybrids. She will definitely be the key to their defeat or assimilation. The question I am most curious about is the purple light that seems to glow where the humans touched Molly. What does it signify? And did she impart DNA onto these people? Is that part of the method that will save her? Will next season show the alien spore transmitting through touch, bypassing sexual reproduction? Or will Molly's conquest and possibly her daughters, she did have lots of daughters there in that group, perhaps that's the result in an impregnation of human men. Now, wouldn't that be something to see? Yodabon, out. All right, some cool ideas in there. I like that she mentioned the idea that may have actually fed my own theory. This is where the danger of reading feedback or listening to feedback ahead of time comes into play because I like about Hallie shutting herself down for complete repair and letting more of her humanity go. Yeah. And I like, you know, focusing in on that whole idea that mistakes are what make us human and then kind of, you know, making us think about whether we're going to have some sort of human and hybrid team up versus the humanics or humans and humanics versus the hybrids or whatever it's going to be. But the idea of that she calls it the purple light when people were coming in and touching molly uh-huh. and she thinks that it was dna being imparted to them so they're being infected maybe with alien dna somehow so that's one theory it could be and uh although i'm not quite sure about the impregnation of human men that she brought up there at the end yeah <laughs> it seems yeah. a little bit weird but right but she does bring up season three and i like the way you think <laughs> yes so all right and then finally we heard from leo who says, this week I have more questions than comments about the episode, and I'm hoping to get your feedback. I'm not a psychologist, so I didn't really understand the Molly Dream stuff. In fact, when it started, I thought it was the aliens' hybrids trying to communicate with her. So I ask you guys, what did the dream mean? Hopefully we uh, explained that a little bit for you there, Leo. Yeah. What are we to take from Molly's revelation that her dad had an affair? The writers have hit us over the head that Molly and J.D., care deeply about each other however do you guys feel that the show successfully set up their love at first sight or love after a few weeks of erratic behavior and alien hunting yeah i think i I brought that up earlier it does seem like it's a little bit rushed and we still are wondering how molly feels because she hasn't been totally demonstrative right exactly and that's i'm staying with that line of thinking because he clearly you know, has feelings for her. And really the only thing we've seen out of her was when she was being controlled at the beginning of her transformation and she kind of came on to him. But that wasn't really her. Unless you could argue that, no, that really was her. Well, before she was controlled, she was being flirtatious as herself. But flirtation is not the same thing as deep feelings. So yeah, I'd love to see some kind of bond from Molly that makes sense. Right. All right. So he says, predictions. The alien humanic storyline will converge, and once again, Ethan will be the hero. I agree. Yeah, I do too. Molly and JD will end up together. Of course. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that's too obvious. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In a shocking twist, John will return. (laughs) No. (laughs) He saved his... (laughs) I like this. He saved his consciousness on a supercomputer, and it gets downloaded into a humanic body. Now, that I could go for. (laughs) No, I I would rebel. He will be younger and more attractive. Oh, God. Unfortunately, he will still have no chemistry with Molly or Julie. (laughs) In the first episode of season three, he will get crushed by the spacecraft of a second alien species. Okay, now we're going to sarcastic territory. (laughs) Oh, and one more thing. But he does it so well. Yeah, he does. You've both mentioned that you're public school teachers. I'm an adjunct professor at some local colleges. However, your job is thankless. As the school year starts, I just wanted to thank you and all other school teachers for all you do. Best of luck in the coming year, and I'll just say we're going to need it. Yeah. Leo, your praise was well-timed because we just finished a very hard teacher prep week. So thank you very much for that. Well, it's been another great discussion here, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. But that's it for this edition of the Extant Podcast. 
Keep up with show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at ExtantGSM. And join our Facebook group. It's still growing at facebook.com slash groups slash ExtantPodcast. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of Extant Episode 10 of Season 2 entitled Don't Shoot the Messenger. But in the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the Extant Podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes. And we'll talk to you next weekend. <laughs>